Hello, welcome to another edition of the Not The Top 20 podcast. My name's Ali Maxwell and opposite me and slightly to the right, interesting seating arrangement this time, is George Ellick and we are talking all things EFL as always. Uh, It's been a couple of weeks since we last spoke and since then I think it's fair to say that plenty has happened as it always will do at this stage of the season. And so uh, earlier on Twitter I teased um, an idea for, for this podcast which would be uh, to, to look at some alternative EFL awards with the EFL awards themselves coming up this Sunday. Um, we are still going to do that. We're going to do that early next week after the awards themselves. We'll let the EFL get their awards out of the way before we uh, start making some, some silly ones of our own. But George, we are going to the awards on Sunday and, and you know we, we had the FSF awards which we were up for back in December that was us putting our smart gear on and, and going and representing and now we get to do it at the EFL awards obviously not up for an award but really nice to have been invited definitely uh, courtesy of the, the fine people at Football Manager um, so you know I, I can't imagine we're speaking to anyone right now who hasn't tried Football Manager in the past but if you haven't then we should do our dues and say that you should um, I yeah. mean how cool is that for, for you know we met when we were about 10, 11 years old and, and we were obsessed with Football Manager for at least the first decade of our friendship so it's pretty cool looking back that, that they've um, they've chosen us to, to go with them sit on their table don't try and make it sound like we're not still <laughs> you know it's not maybe in our mid-20s but well, I think every still... year you say I, I just don't say that <laughs> I was going to say no, no, it's good it, 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 it bodes well for Foot Manager every year you say okay I think I think this is my last year I'm not sure I'll get the new game and then you get mm. you get ill for a few days I think it's more like I, I six months before each year I, I pre-order it <laughs> yeah, you, um, and you get a bit ill you realise you've got a few days on the sofa you, and, and you download it and you're, you're back in always yellows of course always yellows um, let's get into championship action George uh, I want to start today by talking about the, the player who is quite clearly in my eyes and maybe this is up for debate maybe not the player of the season in the championship the best player I've seen in the championship for a while and very much in the headlines because Ruben Neves scored one of the goals of the season last night we've seen a few uh, which we'll mention a few great goals recently he also scored a free kick against Cardiff last Friday night in a big 1-0 win for Wolves and not only the spectacular goals, although there have been many of them, but such a sensational passer of the ball has been a part of this excellent Wolves team and, and really the heartbeat of it. For me, he's the player of the season. How, how good do you think he is? You watch a lot of uh, top flight football, a lot of European football. It's, it's hard to predict, but, but what do you think of him as a player above and beyond the championship? I think anyone who, who knew about Ruben Neves before he went to Wolves uh, knew he was a player who could play at the top, top tier and he's done nothing this season to, to suggest otherwise if anything he's, he's shown that he is a player who could do it you look at teams like I think specifically Chelsea her team who could really do like with someone like him in, in the middle of the park he's got so many strings to his bow whether it's the spectacular as we've seen on, on multiple occasions or he's, he's a very very solid you know almost like a, he can play that holding role very well he, yeah. he's, he's quick across, across the line he breaks down play very very well he's a tidy passer um, he's got everything and he's been linked to Manchester United who knows? Obviously, George Mendes has links with the club and the manager, so it'll be interesting to see whether or not he goes there. But I do think they're building something very important, and it's it's still in Wolves' um, or the owners' interests to make sure they get established as a top half team, try and getting them into Europe. 
And as such, I, I, I think he'll be there next season. Yeah, a sensational goal and, and Wolves cantering to the title. Um, compare, if you can, and, and podcast as an audio medium doesn't necessarily lend itself to talking about spectacular goals or describing them, but we would assume that everyone listening has seen by now Ruben Neves' goal uh, from, from Wednesday night, Jack Grealish's goal from Tuesday night, and also Lee Evans of Sheffield United, who I feel a bit bad for, George. Uh, Evans takes the ball out of the air on the volley with the side with his instep uh, a ball that's dropped from you know I'm not going to put it into meters but put it this way it goes out of shot um, on the telly it goes above the camera uh, so that's how high it came from uh, Grealish did a similar thing uh, probably came from 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 a, a lesser height um, but Grealish maybe benefits slightly from having been live on sky because that Evans goal was was as good as that don't you think it possibly even better I think definitely better. I think the Grealish's goal was, was fantastic um, and normally would dominate the headlines. But I think that in, in Lee Evans and uh, Ruben Neves' goal, you've got that, that X factor, which comes when it's a goal that you never really see before. It's quite incomparable. We've seen a lot of goals like Grealish's where it comes out on the volley. I like how he backpedals and hits it. But the thing about the Evans strike, and I think the Evans goal personally, I think is the best goal, is the way he hits it with, with the inside of his foot. With his, with you know, with the side of his foot, and the pace he gets on that strike just doesn't seem to make sense to me. Any, um, anyone who's who's tried that sort of thing in in the park knows that if that comes even an inch the wrong part of your foot, that yeah. flies behind you, that slices out for a throw. Well, I, mean, I, I don't think anyone listening to this pod knows what it feels like to hit a ball like that. <laughs> so, and, and with Nevers' goal, it's a bad first touch, firstly, which which in, in a sense makes the goal better because okay. he's had to no because he's had to you know he's had to hit a ball that's behind him and, and, and come across it the way he has and it's absolutely unbelievable like the flight of the ball I mean I'd like to see a, a golf style ball tracker on that because you know it's a massive dipping volley incredible trajectory um, incredible and and you can't deny that the technique um, to hit it but I still feel like Evans's goal is very, very special, and, and that's the one for me. Grealish's goal was exceptional as well. That was in Aston Villa's win against Cardiff. Cardiff losing 1-0 to Wolves and Aston Villa in the space of a few days. I think we'll feel pretty hard done by having not got anything from, from those two. Uh, and, and what it's meant is that Fulham have moved into second. Of course, 20 games unbeaten now, uh, putting everyone to bed, really, whether it's at Craven Cottage or away from home. Uh, Reading were the opponents in, 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 in the early part of the week and, and Fulham put them away again. So Fulham into second. Now Cardiff do have a game in hand. That's the, the game we're all looking forward to away at Derby. Another game with um, sort of raising all sorts of passions and different narratives. But both teams have pretty kind fixtures in the running. So uh, in a sense, it's still in Cardiff's hands. George... With Fulham into second now, who do you have as, as, as your pick? Do you think Fulham with momentum and with, with class can do it? Or do you think that Cardiff, with their own class, um, c- can recover from two defeats and, and put away the teams that they've got between now and the end of the season? It's hard to say with Cardiff. I think we called it on, on the last podcast we had, which sadly was, was a while ago. We said that the worst possible game Cardiff could have if they lost to Wolves was Villa away. Uh, and that proved to be the case. So now they've got a case, you know, they have to... Uh, dust themselves down and, and you know to coin you know to use the cliche uh, go again um, if Villa do beat Leeds which I think we have to expect they will do on Friday Cardiff will go into their game albeit with games in hand but only one point clear of fourth and I think that as ever points on the board is very very important here and, and the most 
beneficial thing. And even though Cardiff do have those games in hand, to have gone from being in a commanding position, checking down first, to suddenly being one point ahead of fourth and on the back of two games lost in a row, uh, going away to Norwich, who, whilst Norwich have been something of a soft touch this season, is by no means a uh, an easy game. And, and you have to remember that Norwich and Ipswich are currently level on points. And anyone who knows anything about those clubs will know that therefore, even though they're destined for mid-table mediocrity, um, there's a hell of a lot to play for um, for them still. So... I definitely think that Fulham are in the box seat here. I think that Fulham, the way they're playing, um, deserve to be in second. And whilst it's by no means a, a run race, to, say, to, to put it at all, considering it's still in Cardiff's hands, um, I have to say that I believe at the moment that it will be Fulham who get promoted. But then another thing to mention as well is think how much everything changed at the top of the table last season with a few games to go. Brighton were home, were home and hosed as champions and, and Newcastle ended up getting there. Mm. So a lot can change. One of the things that strikes me about Fulham at the moment, uh, uh, along with the obvious, is that trying to pick a key player at the moment or trying to pick their best player at the moment is impossible. Of course, Kearney is is the mainstay when you talk about things like this. And Sessegnon is definitely the popular choice because of his age. But when you think of that, the impact that Mitrovic has had, the impact that Target has had at left-back, how good Fredericks is. You know, they brought in Cyrus Christie in January and he's barely got a sniff because Fredericks has been so exceptional. Steph Johansson scored the goal to win it against Reading and he is fantastic. Um, Kevin McDonald seems to be all Fulham fans' pick for sort of um, unsung hero, if you will. And Tim Ream as well at the back has become a cult hero. So that that's something that I just find amazing at the moment. So many players playing so, so well. A nice bit of a nugget of info from our friends at Who Scored, who, who you know, they have the statistical analysis and they look at um, and they give every player a rating for each game based on, on their stats and, and what they've done in the game. And Mitrovic and Target, obviously, as you say, both came in in January. Mitrovic has played 13 games. Target has played 14. You'd assume that most of those, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming all of Mitrovic's ones Target played in. And between them, they've been the highest rated player in nine of those 13, mm. um, which just shows you the, the incredible impact both have had. I mean, that effectively means that statistically, Mitro, obviously, with his goals, that's going to happen. But Target is, the fact that he's been the highest rated player through who scored for four of his 13 starts is, is really quite something. Yeah, exceptional. He's sort of provided something that they, that they hadn't had at the start of the season. They were playing Adoy often at left back and it, and Sessegnon as well. And, and for both of those, it was obvious where the weaknesses were. Adoy going forward, not being left footed and, and able to whip crosses in. Sessegnon, of course, um, when he was part of the side at left back, then he, they, they, they clearly were more vulnerable defensively and, and they've done very well out of that target signing. Um, in terms of the playoffs in the championship, Aston Villa, I think, are... are, are locked in essentially so they'll be in there along with either Fulham or Cardiff so who will join them George Derby and the exceptional incredible and rising Millwall are on 68 points they occupy the last two spots Derby of course have a game in hand over the rest of their playoff rivals it's that game against Cardiff that we mentioned Um, and then there's five teams within five points beneath the playoffs so certainly we'll all feel like they've got plenty to play for that's Middlesbrough Bristol City Sheffield United Brentford and Preston Um, Millwall Uh, There was a a great piece on Football 365 today, Dan Storey, who is such an exceptional writer. Um, Unfortunately, that means that he's generally uh, tasked with writing about the Premier League and the Champions League, and and we don't see too much 
uh, Football League stuff. But when he does, and it's worth saying that he, he hasn't forgotten, um, he, he wrote about the Championship being the best league in the world in the piece today. So he's clearly, he's clearly still got his head screwed on right. And he wrote a fantastic piece about Millwall and, and, um, and the state of the club and the fact that it's really a perfect storm there at the moment between club, uh, fans, manager, uh, playing staff, everything pulling in the same direction. They've got a real identity. And they are doing so much more than the sum of their parts, if that makes sense. And, and that's so noticeable. And, you know, all the cliches that come with it, no one will fancy playing them in this form. No one fancies going to the den. If they get into the playoffs, they will be hugely feared. But they have got a very tough run in, George. So look, looking at the teams going for it, of course, Derby have not been on good form either. Um, but out of the five contenders... There's also, for me, there are no teams that I think, yes, definitely, they're, they're, they're trending upwards and they'll be grabbing a playoff spot. So it's sort of a, a, a race between stumbling teams. Yeah, I, I think that's right, except for Millwall, the obvious um, of course. The obvious other one. I mean, it was a bad result for Borough to get beaten away at Sheffield United. I thought that would be the game where they would um, beat Sheffield United and, and in doing so, rule another team out of the race whilst confirming their spot. But they fell to defeat, which keeps Wilder's team in it and means that they're now out of the places. Um, Derby have the perfect game um, on Saturday to get them back on track away at Burton. Obviously, they'd rather play them at home, but even so, it's still the easiest away game you'll have all season. Uh, and if they win that, that puts them back in a very commanding position, despite the fact that they've really struggled in recent weeks. Um, I am not thrilling out Brentford yet. I know that they've got Fulham away. Um, but I still think if anyone is going to go to Craven Cottage and get something from it, mm. it's going to be them. Um, they've won three on the bounce. They had that little wobble about four and four or six weeks ago, mm. which could cost them. But even so, they're still in 64 points. They're just two points behind Borough, uh, four points behind Millwall. And as you say, Millwall have a tough run in. So if they can get something out of, out of that Brentford game uh, and see other people drop points, I think that they will be a team who'll go close. Anything can, can happen, obviously, in a one-off game. It, it feels... And, and this is not something that I don't think either team will enjoy uh, hearing, but it does feel like Fulham are, are what Brentford are trying to be, what Brentford would like to be, um, a more clinical version of Brentford, essentially, because as anyone who follows Ben Mayhew's experimental 361 shot data knows that, that data-wise, Brentford appear to be a, um, an exceptional attacking team that create all sorts, but they, they haven't been putting the chances away. I think it's a sem- their, lo- their last three wins, as we've said, have been all been 1-0, um, and they haven't scored two goals in a game looking now since since Burton away on March the 6th. Mm. And for a team who are so good going forward, that that's a real issue. Um, you have to feel that if you took Mitrovic out of Fulham's team and stuck him in Brentford's team, um, that would see them probably... They, they've had the same issues as Fulham where they play this great football, the build-up plays superb, they get balls into dangerous areas, but because they rely so much on technical players and the gifts of those guys, they don't have that person who can cause carnage in the penalty area um, and uh, that's going to cost them but I still think that's going to be an absolute cracker on Saturday afternoon live on Sky um, so uh, it's, it's a huge game for both teams and I, and I do think with Brentford's running QPR at home Hull at home and Barnsley away that could easily be nine points mm. so if they can just nick a point at Fulham they've got a massive chance At the bottom I think it's probably fair to say that barring Miracle, Burton and Sunderland are as good as down. Um, at the end of the season, we'll, we'll review all the sort of relegated and promoted teams and we'll try and get into the reasons for it and, and, uh, and look forward at, at, at next season. For the moment, though, we'll just focus on, on what is still 
needing to be sorted and that is seemingly one relegation spot now Barnsley inhabit it at the moment Uh, they're two points behind Bolton with a game in hand and they host them on Saturday that's about as big as it gets George who who would who are you picking in a one-off game um, at Oakwell between Barnsley and Bolton at the moment neither side in in particularly good form (laughs) I mean I wouldn't be putting my my hard-earned behind either of them Um, I think if you had to pick one it would probably just about be Barnsley um, there have been some shoots at stages. I mean, the Sheffield United result was obviously a massive one for them um, at home. So maybe they're a team who can rely on on some kind of revival at home to get them through it. Um, I still think that Reading at 28 to 1 to go down is a, is a massive, massive price. Um, for those of the listeners that don't follow you on Twitter, at George Ellick, which would be a mistake. And for those who don't follow <laughs> at NTT20pod further. Bigger mistake. An even bigger mistake. Um, Talk, talk to us quickly about Reading. Um, you know, the, the, the arrival of Paul Clement uh, on, looked to have started well with a good 1-0 win under the cosh, showing a lot of battle and fight and determination, something the fans were very happy to see. Passion. Um, the, the numbers are, are worrying. And I think even, even the, the most data-blind fans can understand the quite simple numbers that, that have been going well, against I, I've tried to, to you know, move away from XG here because I think you lose people when you mm. do that, even though I agree. the XG numbers are absolutely horrific for Reading. <laughs> but um, but it's, it's pure shots. And I think that anyone who watches football, if you, if you take away the idea that you're a fan and, and you want your team to do well and you don't like hearing mean things about your team, you can understand that, that if you, know, you score goals by taking shots from good areas even better on target, great you test the keeper you don't concede goals by not conceding shots that much should be should be should be obvious mm-hmm. uh, yeah I'm, I'm still on board with you here Paul Clement has managed five games at Reading they've picked up six points and they've scored two goals fair play yeah those two goals have come from two shots on target so <laughs> in they, five games in five games so they are yet to have a shot on target that hasn't hit the back of the net <laughs> under Paul Clement and okay. that I mean if you're listening to this and you don't think that's a concern then I, I mean I'd, maybe they're uh, maybe they're keeping the opposition at bay they have conceded 87 shots in that time <laughs> I mean and I mean someone I can't remember who it was now I find it so it's posted the XG stats as well compared from Stam to uh, to Clement and, and that was and, I, 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 I'll stop you there because that was it's very small sample very small stuff. sample indeed but but it's just and people are getting in touch with me saying like, it was such an important change mm. to make we had lost all of them under Stam maybe that's true it's complete conjecture I'm not debating that at all but at may, 28 may, to may, 1 may, maybe you would have done but if those numbers continue there is no question in my mind that Reading finishing on 42 points what they're on now is a massive massive possibility um, and then all you're relying on is, is Barnsley picking up five, five points. Five points from five games. And, uh, and with Bolton at home, one of those games, mm. there's no way that's a 28-1 shot. Like, absolutely no chance. Interesting. Reading's game's coming in. Sheffield Wednesday away, not easy. Red, uh, Ipswich at home should be easy, but if you're not, you're not shooting, I can see that probably being a nil-nil. But they could easily lose then Cardiff away, which they'll, they'll get beat. So they've got, and, and Sunderland at home. So, they, I mean, the games shouldn't be that tough. I mean, Sunderland, who, who in fairness, are, are somewhat resurgent at the moment. Um, Somewhat you know, the, to, 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 Two one-all draws in a row I mean yeah. they, they've picked up Five points in the last four games I mean yeah. for, the, for them that, that is So all I'm saying is if, if you want to have some interest I mean it's probably the only way You can actually have any interest In, in Reading at the moment Because watching them Isn't very interesting But, um, but <laughs> if you want to have an interest in, in the end of the championship season And you like a wee wager 
Um, 28 to 1 is the best price out there. And I, suppose I, and I the, think mathematically that is wrong. I suppose it's the, the fixture list that's probably say, uh, helping that price at the moment. So that, that's interesting. Um, I'm, I'm going to move on to a quick bit of any other business in the championship. Three quick points here. One is Mick McCarthy leaving Ipswich. Uh, we knew for a few weeks that he was leaving at the end of the season. He ended up leaving early, which you can't really blame him for. Uh, he, he made the point himself that he was essentially the caretaker manager for his own departure, which was an odd position to be in. Um, the fans, whether it was a loud minority or a, a large majority, it's hard to say without being there, but clearly uh, it wasn't working and there was no need for him to stay there. Uh, I would really encourage um, non-Ipswich fans listening to the podcast to read a piece on skysports.com written by Adam Bate, who is at Ghost Goal on Twitter. I think it really helped to, to, to clarify a lot of this situation. I think if you're a fan of another championship team and you've got an idea of which teams should be doing what, you've got a fair idea of what expectations are, you've got a fair idea of size of club, of quality of squad, of resources, etc. Um, there's been a lot of... Um, of comment really um, saying that Ipswich fans and their treatment of Mick McCarthy is a disgrace and that those wanting him out should be careful what they wish for it seems to be that that's the sort of phrase that Ipswich fans have that's what's really ground their gears and and to be honest without listening back through a lot of podcasts of ours we may have been we may have said that sort of thing before and and while I'm not saying that that there are that there are points that there aren't points that are valid from that side of things um, it's definitely worth reading the piece a, a, a big reason George uh, and a big a big issue which is not always obvious from the outside is is style of play and of course it, it can be subjective and of course it, it doesn't necessarily feed into points gained or, or, or position in the table but if you come back to the mere fact of attendance and the drop in attendance and the apathy that has surrounded the club now, the question is how much of that was, was Mick McCarthy's fault and, and, and his style of football, or whether he was given the tools to, to succeed in that regard. But I just think from a club point of view, when you get to that point where, where gates are dropping below 13,000 and you know that the potential is there to, to, be, to be getting more through the gate, to, as a fan, you know that, that someone else in charge, a bit of freshness will, will encourage you to go to Portman Road then it's time to move on. And, and, you know, I know that you think he will be absolutely fine in terms of, of getting another job at this level and, and maybe one where, to start with at least, he'll be uh, appreciated. Maybe fans will be excited to have him. Yeah, I'm fairly sure, though, that in two and a half years, he'll probably still be in that job and, and there'll be a lot of fans who want him out, irrespective of how he does. Um, I spoke to a colleague of mine who's an Ipswich fan yesterday and he was just so bored of being told what they should think about, about Pardew. He's someone who goes to a lot of games. About McCarthy. Sorry, about McCarthy. Um one step ahead there that, 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 that's next season um, and he just said we have to watch it the whole time it's absolutely terrible I hate going to games it's miserable with the relationships rubbish and people looking in and look, we've had this discussion before people who look in from the outside and look at a points tally and make a judgement are lazy uh, and I think a lot of very intelligent Ipswich fans understand that next season isn't necessarily going to get better for them in terms of, of their points tally but it could easily improve in terms of relationship. I mean, the relationship with the, with, the, with the manager and the fans can completely alter the whole feeling of the club. And you look at the like, you look at Barnsley under Heckingbottom, for example, this season. You know, the, there was still that massive respect there, and it never really felt like things were breaking apart there. Because, and I'm sure if Heckingbottom had got them relegated, they'd have wanted him to stay and, and have a crack next season. 
And I think that as a fan, there's only so much you can take of this. And and whilst people are entitled to their own opinions, I think that if if, if you're looking in from the outside telling an Ipswich fan how to feel, then then I think you need to have a have a look at yourself. Nice segue that because one of the, my other points of business uh, arose from a, a very brief, and we didn't go much further on it. So I, I said we'd save it for the podcast. Uh, Paul Heckingbottom at Leeds not going very well. Uh, obviously, a bit like another manager that we're going to touch on in a sec came into the club basically having dropped out of the playoffs with a pretty slim chance, but still a chance of making the playoffs, and, and things have gone the other way. Ten points Leeds have got from Heckingbottom's 12 games in charge. I think that he will get sacked if Leeds lose their next game. Um, you don't think that he will. I'd like to make it clear I'm not saying I think he should get sacked. I'm not saying that I think that would be um, a good bit of chairmanship. I'm just saying that I think the pressure from the Leeds fans and maybe the the, the vacuum that is... Twitter has made me um, overreact to this, but I have a feeling that Paul Heckingbottom at Leeds is not going to last very much longer. I think he'll get the summer. I just think that if, if they're going to bring in a manager when the season's effectively over and they make claims in the press that they're going to give him the summer to, and he's going to be in charge of recruitment and they go and sack him, not only is that going to, A, make it very difficult to recruit good good um, targets in the future but also given where they've come from during the last during the, the last era of ownership um, it's a massive step back into that and, and they've got to show themselves as being a, a, a stable ship at the moment and the recruitment was wrong and everyone's now seeing that and Leeds fans see that with, with maybe one or two exceptions um, Sites obviously being one of them but that's even up for debate despite his talent um, and I, I just think that it would be absolutely crazy to, I mean, maybe I've got too much faith in, in, in the new owner and what he's trying mm. to do, but, but I, I just think it would be lunacy. They've got Victor Orta there as a sort of, uh, I don't know if he's director of football or something similar. Yeah. And, and he supposedly was, was very much in charge of, of recruitment over the summer. I think that's, there's a lot of fans who are saying, uh, you know, he's the one let, that let's, let's take a breath on Hecky. Let's, let's give it a rest and get rid of Orta. But I mean, you saying there, they've said that they'll give Heckingbottom the, the keys to the car in terms of recruitment. Well, mm. I, I'd like to see what, how that's going to work with Victor Orta and, and really whose side the chairman is on in, in that sense because we talked a lot about Barnsley's recruitment under Heckingbottom. Of course, he'll have the resources to, to aim a little bit higher, I think, um, but that might be a sort of philosophy of his, of his to be looking for younger players, British players, players from lower down in, in, in Leagues 1 and 2. Uh, Victor Orta showed no interest in that sort of thing, so it would be Barnsley's, very interesting. Barnsley's recruitment strategy under both... Uh, Johnson Hecky was looking at who Oxford will link with and then gazumping us to, to whoever it was. But, um, but uh, and with Orta, I, I had arguments with, with Leeds fans over the summer about Orta. Um, well, I said, you know, not to, to after time too much, but I said something like, you know, Leeds' recruitment strategy seems very haphazard. And I got a lot of people telling me I didn't know what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and There's a lot of that. Yeah, it's strange. Um, and I was told that Orta was masterminded you know, severe and stuff like this, when I'm pretty sure there was a, a Mr. Uh, monkey, Mon- Monchi? Monkey. Yeah, who's there? So you do that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and and he went to Middlesbrough and a lot of the, the, the signings he made there, and uh, I think he was only there for a year, were, were, were fairly ropey and, and he seems to have done it again. So maybe this guy's losing his... Um, his moniker of being a, 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 a transfer guru, should we say? Yeah, transfer guru leads me on to Aitor Karanka. I was pretty puzzled about 
just the amount of transfer business that he wanted to do and was allowed to do at the end of January in the last few days of the transfer window uh, and the players that he targeted. We spoke at the time, a lot of sort of 28 to 32 year olds, um, journeymen, uh, some good players, but nothing really eye catching. And, and it seems just a bit odd uh, having taken over a team that realistically had no chance of being relegated, had no chance of, of reaching even the top half. And, and it seemed like he had a free hit for a few months to really settle down, um, not that much pressure on, I suppose, from the fans maybe, and he could just have a, have a nice time and bed himself in, get ready for a, for a big season next season. Um, they've not scored a goal in six games, not Nottingham Forest. They've only actually scored in four of his 15 league games. In five, five and one. That, yeah, a five and one game. <laughs> I mean, I'm massaging the stats to suit my no, point. No, 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 not, right. not at all. They I mean, did it's... score five and one game. They did beat Wolves 2 0, of course. They've had some good results. But that is, maybe I'm wrong, that's 73% of his games so far. Um, they've not scored. And that appears to me to be quite a big issue. So it'd be, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, he's lucky in a sense there's only four games to go because he'll get through them let's say they, they get a tiny bit better they've got five they probably will score a goal or two let's be honest but you know he, he's now going to have to work pretty hard in the summer to make sure that the fans come the start of the season are thinking yes this, this guy can lead us into the top half rather than Jesus do you remember the back end of last season when we didn't score a goal like you know are we excited yeah. about this season or not I must say any, any neutral fans going to Forest against Ipswich on Saturday deserve a pat on the back because I'm not sure <laughs> I'm not sure I'd go and watch that if it was happening at the end of my bed <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, you would probably be playing football manager anyway. Um, in League One, Wigan are cruising, it seems. Um, my anti-post bet on Wigan to score 100 goals or more in the league looked dead and buried, uh, but they, they've been, been smashing them in recently. So I need them to score 19 goals in their last six games. It does seem unlikely. That's obviously just over three a game. Gary Kane alone. Though, it, it's the, yeah, it's the time... <laughs> It's the type of thing... I mean, Sheffield United last season, they were cantering to the title and they were just blowing teams away, playing without, without any pressure, just so loose and, and so good going forward. And my hope is that Wigan are kind of the same. They obviously put, put four past Rochdale earlier in the week. Um, Blackburn, a, a draw away at Gillingham. Um, I, I I'm not going to call it a stutter, um, but a f- relatively unconvincing or a tough win against Southend on the weekend as well. Even so, it, it's still going to take a lot for Shrewsbury um, to catch them up. It's 9-2 to two best price for Shrewsbury to, to finish in the automatics. And, and obviously, Shrewsbury have a game this evening, so that this, for those listening... Yes. Tomorrow it could be out of date. Shrewsbury playing Bradford on tonight, when Thursday evening. Um, the podcast may go out afterwards, so uh, we'll wait and see what that result is. We won't comment any further. Shrewsbury, however, really disappointing at Wembley on the weekend uh, against Lincoln in that game. Um, it was a, a, a really poor performance. They showed basically absolutely nothing, and I was very disappointed in that sense. Uh, in the playoffs, same again, really. Two spots up for grabs, you'd say. It's probable that... Rotherham will be joined by, let's say, Shrewsbury or possibly Blackburn and then two spots up for grabs. So there was some incredible beef between Plymouth and Peterborough on the weekend, a controversial red card now being rescinded for Liam Shepherd, an off-the-ball incident. Plymouth now say that they're going to complain that the red card's been rescinded, so sort of appealing the successful appeal, which is exceptional behaviour. Derek Adams and Steve Evans, George, you sort of... You've always bigged up Derek Adams as one of the great wind-up merchants. Um, Steve Evans, a more obvious one, but 
but Adams and Evans, it didn't disappoint. And I'm hopeful that they might see each other in the playoffs. At the moment, it's Plymouth and Charlton in fifth and sixth. Portsmouth and Peterborough and Scunthorpe are on 62 and 61. It's all very, very close and a little bit like the championship. And maybe this is a bit of a theme. Um, out of Charlton, Pompey, Peterborough and Scunthorpe, again, it doesn't feel like anyone's anyone's staking an obvious claim to be, you know, this season's Millwall, for example, the team that punches their way in and, and goes all the way. I'm, I'm not that impressed with any of them. Well, I, th- I think we've already seen that team in Plymouth. I- I'm not personally convinced that they're going to go all the way and win the playoffs, but they've certainly been the, the, the team who've, uh, who've turned it around late on and, and forced their way into the reckoning. I still have a, have a sneaky feeling for some reason that they may drop out. Um, okay. I think they're picking up points at, at a rate that their performances don't necessarily... Um, you know, show that they should be. Uh, they're riding the crest of a wave and have been doing so for for a long time. Um, I hope they do. It's a huge game for them against Pompey on Saturday. Um, you have to say, uh, if whoever wins that game uh, will will definitely be in the box seat to do so. But uh, yeah, it's it's, it's going to be another interesting one. Scunthorpe falling like a stone, so you can't see them getting in there. So it looks like it's going to be a couple. Um, out of out of the group you mentioned. All the while, Rotherham are sitting there very happy at the fact that the, the team who comes in at third will be knackered uh, after a promotion battle and the team that comes in fifth and sixth will probably have, have a couple of black eyes as well and Rotherham can just keep themselves fit, keep themselves fresh and and, uh, and go big, hopefully, for them in the post-season. Uh, talk me through the relegation battle down in League One quickly. It's so tiring um, trying to keep up with it. I don't it. know if I want um, to. All I'll say is, out of the current... Well, outside of the current bottom four, who are the, the, the favourites to go down, of course, um, the next bookie's favourite for relegation outside of the current bottom four is is Oxford. I almost didn't really... And be- Wimbledon. Oxford and Wimbledon joint. Three to one, best price. I, I almost couldn't believe my eyes. I was so confident, overly confident that Oxford would be improving. Be, be if I remember be correctly, on, on, <laughs> after we left Ratton Park, I said, "I said if we go down," and he said, you, you, "No, you won't go down." I said, well, I also I said, said, well, if we go down, yeah, you won't go down. I also said after that on this very podcast that um, I would rather bet on Oxford finishing in the top half than than getting relegated when they were both about ten to one. Uh, so it's just Saturday. I mean, I don't want to talk about it for, for too long because it upsets me, but. Um, it's it's a bit of a bit of a nightmare. We seem to have forgotten how to how to score goals. Um, we were very unfortunate not to have two clean sheets in a row, and and, and that's a good sign. But with uh, Blackburn and Wigan away to come, which you have to chalk down as naught points unless something special happens. Suddenly, this game against Southend on Saturday really is really is important. Um, Donny away is another game where, where we could pick something up. But I, I still think, looking at the table, there is a chance we've already got enough points to stay up we, 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 we could feasibly lose every game and still stay up Northampton and Bury uh, well Bury are gone Northampton MK Dons Rochdale and Oldham they're all sort of flailing around and no one's really managing to put anything together so you might be right there mm. um, I, mean, I, th- I think Rochdale will pick up points um, it's just AFC Wimbledon and, and Oldham as well I mean there's a bit of a buffer but we'll mm. see interesting uh, at the top of League 2 Accrington cruising to the title one of the best stories one of the best achievements that we've seen since we've been doing the podcast and and, and well before that as well um, Luton We'll obviously we'll have a big ode to Accrington in a few weeks' time when it's all confirmed. But for the moment, George, I wanted to ask you if Luton, who are eight points clear of fourth, therefore will go up comfortably, um, presumably in second spot at this stage. Um, there still feels to me and, and possibly to fans like they haven't fulfilled their potential. Does that does that seem ridiculous? Is that is that a really harsh thing to say? 
No, it's not harsh. I, they're this season's Pompey, really, aren't they? Um, they're going to go up. They probably should have won the league. I mean, Pompey did win the league. They did in the end, which is ridiculous. Only right, but, yeah. but I mean, it's, I mean, they're, they're in a worse position at this stage than Luton are now. Sure. Um, and I, I think, as we saw with Pompey, that that doesn't necessarily translate into um, what happens next season. I think there are a lot of most people thought that Portsmouth were a better team than, than both Plymouth and uh, and Doncaster last season. Plymouth revivals obviously turned that table on its head, but but they've both left Doncaster for dead now. And I think that if Luton did go up, I think we'd see them batting at the top end of, the, of, of League One next season. Mm. When they do go up, they'll be they'll be towards the top end. Can't see them struggling. Who would you pick to finish third at this stage? It's it's really between Wickham and Exeter. Do you have any strong feelings either way there? Any any fancies? No, I feel like both of these teams, when they're given the opportunity to really hammer home their position, they, 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 they falter. Um, you have to say that Exeter away at Accrington is a really tough game and Wickham away at Yeovil. So if... If results go to form uh, on Saturday, then 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 you think that Wigan, or the Wickham have got one foot in the in, in League One. Yeovil doing all right at the moment. Your old your old mate, your old uh, classmate Alex Fisher doing bits. Do, doing the bits against <laughs> against Swindon as well. Yeah. Lovely. I, I, I was surpri- surprised when I watched his interview afterwards. I, I was surprised that he didn't maybe allude to the fact that he uh, he wouldn't be too fan of those guys. Excellent. A, a bit like League One, a bit like the Championship with the playoffs. You're you're kind of left wondering who really fancies it and who's going to be sort of putting together that defining run of form that sees them enter the the the, the I mean, there are, season the playoffs there aren't you, you called it I mean there aren't many worse starts for a managerial career than Flickcross having at Mansfield well wheels well, off my next line was going to be obviously that Notts County will be in there with either Wickham or Exeter and then it's up to Lincoln Coventry Mansfield and Swindon to, to grab the last two spots I, I think, mean yeah I think I think Lincoln will be there with those games in hand as well I think I think they're good enough Mansfield and, and Phil Brown at Swindon as well is not I mean it's been a, I, think, I think they've drawn four in a row now but mm. that Mansfield one um, I'm obviously feeling pretty good about because I, I have to admit my opinion was formed by a lot of the, the parting words of people who followed Swindon under, under Flickcroft um, and it's fair to say that he's, he's basically done the opposite of galvanising that team you could tell and this is kind of rare the anger at them going 3-1 down to crew at home uh, last Saturday it came across on the uh, on the highlights later on that evening, which is pretty rare. As soon as the ball hit the net, you could actually hear the Mansfield's fans' anger almost more so than you could hear the away fans at the other end. It was uh, it was quite remarkable, and you know because of that, you'd have to say you'd be surprised now if they were to turn it around and, and do anything significant from here on out. And it's it's really interesting. Uh, it, it, it leaves Coventry in a good position because even their own fans don't feel always convinced by them um, but they've sort of they've, they've made their way through the season to this point uh, and um, you know that they'll, they're with Mark Robbins in charge the manner that we like yeah. um, them and Lincoln I think probably for us would be the picks at this stage to make up the playoff spots uh, down at the bottom Chesterfield not really at the moment making the most of, of all those games in hand they had they, they didn't really build on that, that win against Notts County that was live on Sky a few weeks ago um, and they've dropped to the bottom entirely although with again some games in hand Barnet Grimsby this weekend Grimsby beat Chesterfield last weekend their first win for, for what felt like about half a, a year uh, there's five points between Barnet and Grimsby so this really you know Barnet need to win to make this interesting um, grizzled veteran Martin Allen against fresh-faced Michael Jolly George you, you I'm sure you tweeted the other day uh, to Hugh Davis, you know, I wouldn't be, I'm never comfortable backing against Mad Dog, Martin Allen, Brentford. So you feel like they might have a chance against Grimsby and, and make things interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, Grimsby had got that huge, huge win, but haven't, you know, 
Barnet are still fighting and with Forest Green seemingly unable to, to, to really pick up a point, uh, you have to think that they're going to look at this Grimsby game as being the game that could save their season and, and save their league status. And, and under Martin Allen, we've seen it with Barnet many times that, mm. they, that they, they put out the results there. Forest Green are not out of the woods either at the moment. Um, that was a nice little pun there, if you're interested. Um, that'll be a tasty game this weekend with Cheltenham. El Glossico, they call it, and they've got good good recent history with um, a lot of battles down in the National League, so that's one to keep an eye on that normally gets pretty lively. Uh, that's all from us. We hope to be back early next week with some alternative EFL awards and with some memories, hopefully, uh, of an excellent night on Sunday, um, as mentioned at the top of the podcast. George and I going to the EFL Awards together for the first time. Really excited about it. It's going to be an amazing evening and looking forward to seeing who ends up as the winners uh, of all of the awards. Uh, we're going to finish on a question from Tom Story. It's something that uh, a lot of people have asked and it's time that we address it. Uh, the answer before I ask the question is yes, but we might need your help, listeners. Tom asked... I've always wondered if you'd considered getting George Ellicobi on the podcast because of great name similarity with him and George Ellick. If anyone knows George Ellicobi, uh, anyone knows anyone who know, knows him, sort of two degrees of separation is enough. Get in touch with us, tell us how to get in touch with him uh, and we'll get him on the podcast for a chat. Thank you very much for listening. Please do share the pod and uh, we're very grateful for your, your enduring patience and support and uh, hope to be with you early next week.